section ten of the roman empire of the second century by william wolfe capes this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter five marcus aurelius antoninus a d one forty seven to one eighty part one plato had written long ago that there could be no perfect government on earth till philosophy was seated on the throne the fancy was to be realized at last in the person of the second of the antonines for the whole civilized world was in the hands of one who in the search for truth had sat at the feet of all the sages of his day and left no source of ancient wisdom unexplored marcus aeneas Verus, for such was the name he bore at first came of a family which had long been settled in the south of spain and thence summoned to the capital to fill the highest offices of state left fatherless in infancy he had been tenderly cared for by his grandfather and early caught the fancy of the emperor hadrian who because of the frank candour of his childish ways called him playfully Verissimus, a name which he liked well enough in later years to have it put even at times upon the coins struck in his mints at the early age of eight he was promoted to a place among the salii the priests of mars recruited commonly from the oldest of the patrician families at rome with them he learned to make the stated round in public through the city with the shields which fell of yore from heaven to join in the old dances and the venerable litany to which among much that had almost lost its meaning to their ears new lines were added now and then in the honour of the rulers lately deified when they flung their flowers together on the statue of the god his was the only garland which lighted on the sacred head and young as he was he took the lead of all the rest and knew by heart all the hymns to be recited he grew apace in the sunshine of court favour and no pains were spared at home meantime to fit him for high station for the greatest of the teachers of his day took part in his instruction of these fronto was one of the most famous by a lucky accident not many years ago the letters which passed between him and his young pupil were found in an old manuscript over the fading characters of which another work had been written at a later date in accordance with a custom which has saved for us many a pious homily at the expense of classic lore there is much of pedantry and affectation in the style and professor of rhetoric as fronto was he could not teach his young charge how to write with dignity or grace yet if we look below the poor conceits of form and stilted diction we shall find the gush of warm affections welling up to give a beauty to the boyish letters there is a genuine ring about the endearing epithets which he lavishes upon his teacher and a trustfulness with which he counts upon his sympathy in all his passing interests he writes to him of course about his studies how he is learning greek and hopes one day to rival the most eloquent hellenic authors how he is so hard at work as to have made extracts in the course of a few days from sixty books at least but playfully relieves his fears by telling him that some of the books were very short and then among passages of pretentious criticism which make us fear that he is growing a conceited bookworm come others of a lighter vein which show that he has not lost his natural love of youthful pranks one day he writes in glee to say how he frightened some shepherds on the road where he was riding who took him and his friends for highway robbers 
foreseeing how suspiciously they eyed him he charged at full speed upon the flock and only scampered off again when they stood on their defence and began to bandy blows with crook and staff but happily the lad had other masters who taught him something better than the quibbles and subtleties of rhetoric philosophy found him an apt pupil at a tender age and he soon caught up with eagerness and pushed even to excess the lessons of hardihood and self-control he tried to put his principles to the test of practice to live simply in the midst of luxury and license to content himself with frugal fare and to take the bare ground for his bed at night at last it needed all his mother's gentle influence to curb the enthusiasm of his ascetic humour the old professor whom he loved so well began to be jealous of such rival influence and begged him not to forsake the muses for austerer guides who cared little for the graces of fine language but seemed to think it vain and worldly to dress well or write in a decent style it was indeed no petty jealousy of a narrow heart for the old man thought sincerely that rhetoric was the queen of all the sciences and arts and longed to see her seated on the throne he wished to see his pupil famous and could think of no opportunity so good as the one which imperial eloquence would have before it to lecture his subjects on the duty of man to award the meed of praise or blame to animate to high endeavours in well-turned periods and graceful phrase herein he thought lay the greatness of the ruler's work not in policy or law-making or the rough game of war the interests of humanity therefore were at stake not personal ambition only or the credit of his favourite study he writes to say that he had already passed many a sleepless night in which he was haunted by the fear that he had culpably neglected to stimulate the progress of his pupil he had not guarded carefully the purity of his growing taste had let him turn to questionable models but henceforth they should study the grand style together eschew comedies and such meaner moods of thought and language and drink only at the sources which were undefiled but the earnest scholar had outgrown his master and even then was full of serious thoughts about great questions of the misgivings of a creature moving about in worlds not realized and was not to be moved to give them up for canons of taste and rules of prosody he gave in after years the stoic rusticus the credit of his conversion from letters to philosophy it was he who made me feel how much i needed to reform and train my character he warned me from the treacherous paths of sophistry from formal speeches of parade which aim at nothing higher than applause thanks to him i am weaned from rhetoric and poetry from affected elegance of style and can write now with simplicity from him i have learned to concentrate my thoughts on serious study and not to be surprised into agreeing with all the random utterance of fluent speech other influences came in meantime to tempt his thoughts from graver themes honours and dignities pursued him more as he grew careless of their charms already at fifteen years of age he was made prefect of the city or first magistrate of rome when the consuls were away to keep the latin holidays he was betrothed also to the daughter of aelius verus who stood nearest to the imperial succession and on his death two years later he was at the express wish of hadrian adopted himself by antoninus 
who was raised into the vacant place and was soon to be left in undisputed power in accordance with the roman practice the young man called himself after the aurelian family into which he passed and may be spoken of henceforward as marcus aurelius the name by which history knows him best it was a brilliant prospect that opened now before his eyes titles of rank and offices of state followed fast upon each other all the priestly colleges were glad to welcome him among their members inscriptions in his honour which have been found even in far-off dacia show that the eyes of men were turned on the young caesar who already bore his part of the burdens of the empire they soon learned it seems to love him and to hope fondly of his youthful promise the popular fancy multiplied his portraits and an eye-witness speaks of the rude daubs and ill-carved statuettes which were everywhere exposed for sale and which in the shops and public taverns and over the tables of the money-changers showed the well-known features of the universal favourite but happily the incense of such flattery did not turn his head or cloud his judgment rather it seemed to make him feel more deeply the responsibilities of high estate and to make him the more resolved to fill it worthily the sirens of the court had tried on him the witchery of their wanton charms and the home life of hadrian which he shared awhile had brought him into somewhat questionable circles but his mother watched him with her constant care and screened the purity of his growing manhood a tender service for which he fondly thanks her memory in later years attracted by the high professions of the stoic creed he sought the secret of a noble life from the great doctors of the porch trusting with their help to find a sure guiding star of duty and the true measure of all earthly grandeur their principles indeed had sometimes been austere and hard counsels of perfection scarcely fitted for the frail and struggling coldly disdainful of the weakness of our suffering manhood but marcus aurelius was too generous and tender-hearted to nurse such a lonely pride of philosophic calm he was vigorous in questioning his heart but was stern only to himself the man was not forgotten in the student we may still read in the familiar letters which he wrote to his old friend and teacher about the pleasant days he spent in the country house at lorium how he dwells fondly on the infant graces of his children and watches with anxious care the course of every little ailment he speaks often of his little nestlings and forgets his graver thoughts while he is with them the weather is bad and i feel ill at ease he writes but when my little girls are well it seems that my pains are of slight moment and the weather is quite fair fronto enters readily enough into the same vein of homely sentiment sends his loving greeting to the young princesses kisses their fat little toes and tiny hands and dwells complacently upon the simple happiness of the prince's circle i have seen your little ones he writes and no sight could have been more charming to me for they are so like you in face that nothing could be more striking than the likeness i was well rewarded for my pains in journeying to lorium for the slippery road and rough ascent for i had two copies of yourself beside me and both happily were strong of voice and had the look of health upon their faces one held a morsel of fine white bread in his hands such as a king's son might eat the other a hard black crust fit for the child of a philosopher in the pleasant prattle of their little voices i seem to recognize already the clear tones of your harmonious speech 
fronto had learned it seems to jest at the austerer studies of his former pupil but he disliked them still as much as ever philosophy indeed was now a great moral force and the chief teacher of the heathen world but he could only think of it as the mere wrangling of pretentious quibblers intent only on hair-splitting or offensive words and with no power to guide the reason or to touch the heart prejudiced and one-sided as his criticism was it had perhaps some value when he urged the future sovereign to remember the responsibilities of high estate and the difference between the purple of the caesars and the coarse mantle of the stoic sages he had also a powerful ally who did not fail to use her influence faustina the mother of the little nestlings whom fronto wrote about so often was affectionate and tender as a wife but had all the pride of birth and the fastidious refinement of the fashionable roman circles she had little liking doubtless for the uncourtly doctors of the porch with their philosophic talk about equality and rights of manhood grudged them their influence with her husband and freely spent her woman's wit in petulant sally or in mocking jest the sages took it somewhat ill misjudging her levity of manner and saw only wantonness or vice in the frank gaiety of the high-born dame hence among the earnest thinkers or in literary circles harsh sentiments began to spread about faustina and stamped themselves perhaps in ugly memories on the page of formal history thus the years passed by in serious study and the cares of state relieved by the tenderness of home affections but history has no more details of interest to give us till at length antoninus closed his long reign of prosperous calm leaving the throne to his adopted son who was already partner in the tribunician power the most expressive of the imperial honours marcus aurelius might now have stood alone without a rival if he had harboured a vulgar ambition in his soul but he bethought him of the claims else little heeded of lucius verus who like himself had been adopted at hadrian's wish by the late emperor and had grown up doubtless in the hopes of future greatness he was raised also to the throne and rome saw now in a d one sixty one for the first time two co-rulers share between them on an equal footing all the dignity of absolute power their accession was not greeted at the first by fair omens of prosperity and peace such as the world had now enjoyed for many years soon the bright sky was overcast and the lowering storms began to burst first the tiber rose to an unprecedented height till the flood spread over all the low grounds of the city with fearful loss of property and life and only retired at length to leave widespread ruin and famine in its track then came rumours of danger and of war in far-off lands in britain the troops were on the point of rising to assert their liberty of choice and to raise their general to the seat of empire but their experienced and gallant leader would not be tempted to revolt and the soldiers soon returned to their allegiance while their favourite was recalled to do good service shortly in the east on the northern borders also the native races were in arms and broke in sudden onset through the roman lines and a soldier of mark had to be sent to drive them back but it was on the euphrates that the danger seemed most pressing there the parthians long kept in check by the memory of trajan's military prowess and by the skilful policy of his successors challenged once more the arms of rome 
years ago they had taken offence it seems because a ruler had been chosen for the independent kingdom of armenia which had been the debatable ground for ages between the empires of the east and the west for a while the war had been averted by fair words or watchful caution but the storm burst at last at an unguarded moment and swept over the borderlands with unresisted fury armenia fell into the invaders hands almost without a blow the city in which the roman generals stood at bay was taken by storm a whole legion cut to pieces and syria was laid open to the conquerors who pressed on to ravage and to plunder the danger was imminent enough to call for the presence of an emperor in the field and in a d one sixty two varus started for the east to rouse the soldiers courage and organize the forces of defence with him or before him went skilled advisers to direct the plan of the campaign chief among whom was Awidius cassius a leader of ancient hardihood and valour it was well for roman honour that resolute men were in command for the soldiers were demoralized by long years of peace sloth and self-indulgence in the syrian cities had proved fatal to their discipline and profligate antioch above all with its ill-famed haunts of daphne had unnerved the vigour of their manhood they cared little as we read that their horses were ill-groomed and their equipments out of gear so long as their arms were light enough to be borne with ease and their saddles stuffed with down whereas the general-in-chief was worthy of such troops he was in no haste to reach the seat of war alarming as were the tidings which each fresh courier brought he lingered in the south of italy to enjoy the pleasures of the chase and dallied amid the isles of greece where all his interests seemed to centre in the charms of music and of song the attractions of the towns upon the coast of asia tempted him often to halt upon the way and when at last he came to antioch he stooped so low as to treat for peace with the invader and only resolved to prosecute the war in earnest when the parthians spurned the proffered terms even then he had no mind to take the field in person or risk the hazards of a soldier's life but loitered far behind safe in the rear of all the fighting and gave himself up without reserve to frivolous gaieties and sensual excess till even indolent natives of the syrian towns began to scoff and courtly panegyrists found it hard to gloss over his slothful incapacity with their flattering phrases but hardier troops were in the field meantime than the licentious garrison of antioch the armies of the distant frontiers sent their contingents to the east and at least eight legions may be traced in the campaigns that followed besides a multitude of auxiliary forces happily there were skilful generals to handle them aright statius priscus the commander who had been put forward by his men against his will as a pretender to the throne proved his loyalty once more by his successful march into armenia and the conquest of its capital artaxata awidius cassius meantime with the bulk of the roman army pushed on direct towards parthia proved his valour and address in many a hard-fought battle and drove back the beaten enemy at last beyond the walls of seleucia and Ctesiphon. the humbled parthians sued for peace and gained it at the price of the borderlands between the two great rivers the fame of these achievements found an echo possibly in the far regions of the east of asia where no sound of western armies had hitherto been heard the native chroniclers of china date the first roman embassy to the celestial empire with its presence of tortoise-shell and ivory 
from a d one sixty six the very year in which the war with parthia closed but the visitors whether simply merchants or official envoys entered china from the south and not by the direct route through central asia which when they started was doubtless barred to them by the movements of the armies in the field End of section ten